Welcome to another episode of Top Lines and Tales, the nation's favorite livestock podcast. And as always, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Harbro, for their continued support and partnership. And make sure you go and have a look and see how Harbro can help you with your nutrition and nutritional advice. They say there's no real way to measure success. Um, Last week or the week before on the podcast, we had one of the top cattle breeders probably of the last 50 years, a uh, hugely successful guy. And this week we've got somebody equally successful there, maybe not quite in, in the same way there, but she runs a, a croft in Caithness. She's a world-class wool wrapper. She's a, a single mum. She runs hugely into diversification and inspiration for everybody, particularly women across the, across the country in agriculture. So uh, Sally Crow, that's you I think I'm talking about. It, it sounds like a lot of stuff that I do, but it sounds a bit better than what I do, really, to be honest. <laughs> you, you are an inspiration and you've been working hard at, at the diversification side of, and making you're making a living from a croft. And I think it's something that a lot of people would like to hear about. So we'll, we'll have a brief look at the crofts that you have there, which I think has come down from your parents and the numbers that you run. And then maybe we'll, uh, we'll go into some of the other stuff you do and then go back to the croft a little bit uh, later in, in, in the program. So tell us a little bit about the croft that you have there in Caithness. The croft I have here came from my mum and dad. They were they got it in 1972. They they came in as tenants. It's 25 acres at the time. We rent from a neighbour now, so I've got another. What do I take about thirty? It's about 65 acres in total now. My mum was a crofter, not my dad. Dad was ship's captain. He's um, a townie. Mum was. Very much a crofter, very much a farmer here as well. I now I took it over in 2004, so 20 years ago in April, actually, I took it over in my own right when I was 26. I started with, I'd Texel sheep for a lot of years. I had limousine cross cattle, Belgian blue cross cattle, and I've moved away from all that. I used to show, loved the showing, but... I'm not as dedicated as most. You know, you need to be a bit of a perfectionist to be into showing. And I'm not. I'm a lazy sod. Basically, I want to make life easier. So I've moved into native breeds. I have Irish wild cattle, which are fabulous, by the way. And I have Helcheviot sheep. Excellent. Um, We'll give a plug to the Moilers in a minute or two. And and, uh, no, it's excellent that, as you said, the showing is a... You'd be dedicated, but also it's a financial drain as well, isn't it? Going to the show is great fun to turn up and have a pint, but when you start taking livestock to shows, it's a it's a huge expense into that. Let's just go back to the early days, Sal. I first met you, I think you were at Harper, Harper Adams, if those mm-hmm. don't know where Harper Adams is, it's somewhere where you go and learn to drink down in Shropshire. And yes. uh, I think you learned that one anyway. And the first time I met you, I think you were in a wheelbarrow going past me with your leg in a plaster. So that, that that's kind of that's kind of when I first got to know you. Yes. So I think push for Duncan McLaren, if I remember right. Yeah. <laughs> I actually think it was before that. I think we met at the Perth Bull Sales when I used to go down. Me and mum, well, mum went down because it was a crofter. She never bought a bull. She never wanted a bull, but she used to go to the Perth Bull Sales for fun. I was going down in fifth and sixth year at the high school. Okay. So I think it was maybe a year or two before I went to Harper. But yes, I remember I, the reason I was in a wheelchair at the Royal Show, in a wheelbarrow, was I twisted my ankle. Mm-hmm. I still have dodgy ankles. It's a reoccurring theme. It was nothing to do with alcohol, that one. Well, <laughs> so, yeah, we'll so, that one. Some of the trips down to Perth certainly did include alcohol and fantastic they were. Did you ever get to the old Mart, Sally? You wouldn't quite remember that one, no? No, no, I was never in the old Mart. It was the, the new Perth Mart I was in. Uh, Mum did go to the old Mart. She bought Herefords there. When she first came in the Croft, they had Herefords for a number of years. Not Well, I don't remember them. Um, I've got photos of me beside them when I'm sort of two or three. So that would have probably been, she had them for seven or eight years, I think. Okay. Uh, And she showed them. She never, I don't think she ever showed a bull, but. Okay. So we're going back. You were at Harper, obviously said learning, doing your your agricultural course. And then from then, from what I remember, you got into wrapping wool there. So tell us a little bit about about Harper and how that sort of evolved into what you you became a passion for. Well, I went to Harper in 95. I learned a lot about that I can't play rugby. I learned how to make a really good snake bite pint. Didn't actually finish. I'm officially a dropout, a college dropout. I didn't quite finish. I ended up coming home and going to work in 
call centre, of all, a computer call centre of all places for a while up here, which was not did not suit me at all. And that's when I took the farm on. I actually broke my ankle at the Highland Show in 1999 on the Friday morning, but showed my I showed my Texel sheep and mum's mum and my auntie Susan strapped it up very well. Tracy Gunn picked me up off the floor when I twisted it. And I ended up in plaster for four months, gave up the job that I loathed. Call centre, you're literally chained to a desk. It's not for me. Good to talk. I mean, I was good at that bit, but <laughs> and I ended up in New Zealand working in orchards and vineyards for about eight months and I came home I think that was then when I took the farm on and I kind of jobbed around for a bit bummed around with no real plan in life and I got a job here rolling wool in the summer because it was something I could do it was easy to learn it was something I could make some decent money over the summer got friendly with a couple of people in Australia and they were like yeah come over you know come over and I was like nah that's too far I've got the farm and one night I ended up on I think I'd split up with whoever boyfriend at the point or whatever and I was online and I was on shearingworld.com and I was like oh how maybe go to Australia got chatting to a guy on there a contractor on there he offered me a job on a Friday night I walked through the house and said to mum and dad I've got a job they're like, yeah, cool. When, where? I said, starting on Monday in Perth. That's cool. I'm like, yeah, Perth, Australia. <laughs> <laughs> and I flew on Monday morning and that was it. And that's how I got into wheel rolling. And I was right. I was over. I did two trips in Australia. I started showing over there, doing the shows, encouraged by one of the ladies I'm still friendly with. And I started doing the shows. It was before the whole shearing circuit came in. So to get on the team at that point for the wheel handling you had to come first at the Highland show. And if there was enough, you had to get points at a couple of other shows. I was second. Very surprisingly, I was second. At the, actually, at the Highland, yeah? Highland, yeah, at the Highland. I'd actually gone and got changed. I was like, yeah, yeah, it's a, I'm done. I'm out. There's no way I've got anything here. Went and got changed. And I was sitting eating an ice cream when Margaret Whiteford, she came up to me, get changed, get changed. You're in the next heat. You're in the finals. I was like, oh, no. So I was surprised, you know, getting second was great. But at that point, I wasn't getting to go to New Zealand because it was only one wool handler that was getting to go. And then there must have been discussions and it was decided that somebody else could go. And I was, I think, again, I was second at the Black Isle show. And that got me my place on the team. And that was in 2012. Okay. So I went over to New Zealand in 2012 as one of the two wool handlers at the Golden Shears. There was 32 countries competing. It's huge over there, like huge, properly huge. It's amazing. It was some experience. It really was some experience to go. Fantastic experience. And again, those listeners that we have on here will know the Golden Shears this last year was held at the Royal, Royal Highland and the two Scottish girls, Audrey Aitken and Rosie Keen, Keenan, came in there and uh, and they came and won. Between them, they won the, some of the world events as well. I think they were second in, mm-hmm. in the uh, pair. Maybe t- first in the... You'll know more than me, sir. Yeah, Rosie, Rosie's number one. She's current number one in the world. She's actually living up here near me in Betty Hill now. And Audrey and Rosie, I think they were second in the teams. Brilliant. They're brilliant. The two of them are awesome. You know, they're, when I watch them doing I am nowhere near their level. You know, they are top-notch, both of them. They're okay. amazing. And, and, and we like to encourage youngsters on here. You, I'm sure you do the same, like to encourage youngsters. So just say to some of our younger audience, especially maybe some of the some of the ladies, and it's not specifically ladies, or is it, is it the men's and women's? I don't know how it works. So just tell our youngsters if they want to get into that and travel and see the world that they can actually, uh, it, it's something they can get into and, and, and get paid for, I guess. Yeah. It, it, you know, going wheel rolling around the world or rousing around the world is amazing. My cousin, Jodie, at the moment, she's in Melbourne, flying home on Friday. She's been in Norway. She started work um, down about the Black Isle area in summer. She's ended up being in Norway for six weeks, going around the sheds there with one contractor. It's just her and a contractor going around all the farmers' places. Had an absolute ball there. And now she's been in Melbourne working down that area. And loving it, absolutely loving it. It's it's a great way to travel. You meet so many people and you're getting paid and it's good money. You know, it's actually decent money you're getting paid, especially in Australia. Maybe I'm not sure about New Zealand. I've never properly worked there. But 
Oh, it's awesome, especially when you're young. And you're getting you know, away, yeah. getting away from the Scottish winter again. So, where where would one apply? Where would somebody put their, their application in to do that job? Somebody well, need to have done it already. But where where how do you, how do you go about just picking up a contract? There's a couple of recruitment companies that do it. There's Tiki Recruit Emily. She's a Scottish lassie who's set up that she finds she matches contractors with shearers, rouses, and pressers all over the world. Or you can just find somebody like. You know, I still speak to a lot of friends in Australia who are still shearing. I can hit people up with contacts as well. And it generally, there's a lot of the Scottish shearers go over and wool rollers go over as well. So speak to them. Okay, speak to the shearers. And, and if, if you can't find anybody else, speak to me. I'll speak to Sally directly uh, on Facebook or Instagram or wherever you'll find Sally Crow. Sally, let's just move on briefly. Then then you, after the wool rolling, you came back home, as you said, but you took you took ill, didn't you? You took a, a long-term illness, I would say, and, and, and sort of some mental health issues around that as well. So tell us a little bit about, about what happened in that next sort of period of your life. Yeah, well... When I came home from uh, New Zealand, I stopped into Australia because, you know, down that side of the world, it's rude not to go and visit friends. So I popped in to visit some friends down there and I did an afternoon in a shed and I picked up something called Q fever. Didn't know it at the time. I got a little bit of a cold when I came home and it just never really left. And it took uh, a couple of years before I got diagnosed that it was actually this thing called Q fever, which is very similar to chronic Lyme disease. Very similar. More people over here will have heard of it. You know, it's the limiting, very limiting what you can do, what you can't do. It causes lots of body pain, fatigue, fatigue that you've never felt before. And as we say, with the knock on of it is that you do have mental health issues because you go from being really fit to being actually on top of the world when I was in, in New Zealand because it was a year that Gavin much won and Mark and Willie did really well. And Blades and Hamish had done really well and it was really, you know, I was buzzing, came home on top of the world and then just never couldn't do anything, basically, for a couple of years. And as you said, that was, uh, the couple of years would be the worst bit because obviously you didn't know what was wrong with you. I mean, you had, I remember seeing you you'd, and you were a shadow of your former self, certainly mentally, and, and when not knowing was the worst bit, wasn't it really going from one test after another and nobody actually pinpointing what, what, the, what the matter was? Yeah. It was, it was, you're just, you're reliant on your doctor picking up what he think, what they think it might be. And they just didn't know. And none of the tests were picking up. And obviously, unless you specifically test for Q fever or whatever it is. And a lot of people were suggesting Lyme and I was tested for it many times. And it wasn't until I was speaking to one of my friends in Australia, Nigel, I think it was Nigel. Oh, one of my friends in Australia anyway. He said, you know, check for Q fever it sounds like it so I did and the doctor eventually agreed to test and that's what it came back as and they basically said you know we don't really know much about this they diagnosed me with ME myelagic encephalomyelitis the response to it is go away and learn to live with it which is soul destroying when you hear that you know your life's never going to get better I was fortunate enough to get chatting to Hestel and a South African lady who put me in contact with a doctor in South Africa who treated Q fever, Lyme, rickettsial illnesses. Can I just jump in there a second? And, and is that something that's in, inherent? I mean, you said you picked it up in New Zealand in, in a shearing shed. I mean, is that something that, that is more Southern Hemisphere? Is it rare? Is it, is, is it, how, how, where does it come from the sheep? Or you know, how, do you, how do you get um, that? It's, it's zoonosis. It's Coxella burnettii is the official name. It's actually not in New Zealand. It's the one place it isn't. They don't have it, but it's okay, everywhere sorry, else. Sorry, the Kiwis out there. Sorry, Kiwis out there for pointing the finger at you. <laughs> Go back to, to Southern Hemisphere anyway. Yes, yeah, so it's all over. I have friends that have caught it here. It comes through. It's an airborne, usually an airborne spread. So it comes through urine, which is why it's more problematic in warm hot, dry countries because it can spread. There was a huge outbreak in Holland, I want to say, from a downwind of an abattoir. And it was goats. And it was, you're talking hundreds of people that was getting it. Because there's two forms. There's the acute form where you get it and you get ill, get a cold and you get better. And then there's about 2 to 5% get the chronic form that you just don't get better, basically. A bit like long, a long COVID sort of thing. But uh, yeah. yeah, and you... You say you don't get better, but you did get better in the cell. I think you had treatment and sort of medication and various things. I and mean, how long ago has that been now? You did tell me 2012. Was- 2012, I got ill. Around about 2016, 2017, I had treatment. I saw the doctor in Belgium and I 
I had treatment for a year on and off. And it's better. It's improved a lot. You know, I still have to watch what I do, which is one of the reasons I don't do so much now. <laughs> you know, I take it easy a bit, bit easier now. So I have to watch what I do still. Well, but it's mainly gone. You know, it's it's under control, I think, is what we call it at the moment. Taking it easy would be a fairly easy thing to say. But you mentioned William. I just heard him in the background there. And of course, you are now a, you're a single mum with elderly parents. So you sort of got both holding, holding the family together from both sides. And you've got William now who's three or so. And hey, bringing up, a, bringing up a youngster on a budget that you have as well and on the time constraints that you have there. Not an easy task there. So uh, William, if you're listening there, behave yourself. <laughs> yeah he doesn't no he does he's a good kid i have to say he's quite a little cool little dude you know he's quite easy going thankfully he's smart i don't know where he's getting it from but he's a smart cookie outsmarts me regularly <laughs> <laughs> and he's good because he children bring that fun into life you know you've got the laughter and the joking around and everything and it's great you know we don't take life too seriously none of us here or me and dad don't take life too serious it's quite I mean it's it is serious at times mum's still in hospital with dementia she's not going to be coming home unfortunately and it's it's that generation I'm in or it's that age I'm in just now you know there's so many people just now at the same stage in life that your parents are getting elderly and your kids are young and everybody needs you and you just kind of have to get on with it but if you can do it with a bit of humour it makes life a lot easier, I find. Well, that's that's a great thing to say. And again, a lesson for all of us. That's why I said at the top of this thing, you are you are an inspiration. And, and we'll go into what else you do to earn a living. Because as I said, bring it, you know, a croft isn't, it, it's, yes, it is sustainable. Of course it is. But you have to supplement your income doing various things. And, and there's a time constraint for, for all of that to, to fit mm-hmm. it in. And as you said, seeing your mom and your mom, Julie, who I always had a lot of time for, fantastic, it's horrible and, and, and hateful to see her in the way that she's in just now. But all that needs to be managed, uh, Sal and you, you just seem to get on with it you just have to you know I don't I genuinely don't work too hard a lot of people think I do but I'm really quite I'm quite strict with my time so I allocate time like William's at nursery now so it's great I've got sort of five days a week that I can do stuff at home I don't do I try not to do online work at night time I do it school hours nine to three you know and that's it I don't do it outside of that me and dad take day about visiting mum and that's part of it. That time is built in there. As you say on the croft, you know, a 65 acre croft with the best well in the world with just store cattle and store sheep, you're not making a living off of it. You know, so that's why I've changed the way I do things to maximise return on every step of it. And it sounds a lot. When I write it all down and go, it sounds loads, but it's all developed over about 10 years. Sure. You know, So it's all bit by bit that's happened. Let's go into the croft then. As you said, all change. You know, Texel sheep, lemmers and cattle saw the daylight one day and thought we're going to have to do something a little bit more specific in this. And as you mentioned, you've got the you know, the Morley cattle there and obviously made the farm a little bit bigger and, and the regeneration project that you've more recently gone into, I guess. So uh, first, let's give, let's give a shout out to the, to the Irish Moiled. I mean, they were a breed that was down to thirty odd cows in the eighties, I think. And you've got involved in the breed society now. How many how many cows have we got now in the country, and and, and why? We are as a as a society. I think the Irish Moiled cattle are now up to sixteen hundred females. So they've done really well breeding up. I didn't really know much about them until sort of six or seven years ago, and I fell in love with them because they're beautiful. They really are a beautiful animal to look at. They're also they're good doers. You know, they don't need extra hard feed. Good grass, they'll thrive on it. They calve easily. They're really milky. They're a dual-purpose breed, milk and beef, although more towards the beef style now. We do classification. We use the Holstein Society, the same classification as the Shorthorns use. So the locomotion, the milk, the other, you know, breed characteristics and we've got a lot of cattle that are coming grading through and they're excellent now mm-hmm. and three or four generations back graded as excellent um, you say we you, you you've got yourself involved in the society i believe uh, who are based in ireland but i think you're probably their scottish of it would that be right well i'm one of the gb directors i think what do we have i think we have five four or five gb directors thank because of covid it's all being held on zoom which is great all the agms the meetings and everything is held on zoom through email a lot as well and it's great because i can be involved in it 
I'm working on one of the things I'm working on just now is a weaning weight project where we're recording all the weaning weights over a couple of years and we're trying to see if the average is going up or going down and to see what we're actually at because we don't have any full figures for it. So we need to get that figures. I do love a good spreadsheet. I love Excel. <laughs> I've got quite a well, I had a really good one with all these fancy macros and tables and everything, and I did something to it and I can't fix it. So I've gone simple again. <laughs> I, I could help you on that in a former life. I used to write all those the macros in code, but uh, probably don't have the time for it either at the moment. And you mentioned where you are, of course, geographically challenged. So you're up near John O'Groats, as you said. You're, you're what, 100 miles north of uh, Inverness, more, more maybe. And so you can get to do those things. And of course, other things that, that come into that as well from a diversification point of view. And we'll we'll go on to some of that. But just sticking with those moilers a little bit, you mentioned a, mo- a, a dual purpose breed, as were the short before they went down to the two separate routes and as a few mm-hmm. other, other animals. And of course, the, the Kerry cows in Ireland as well, they'd milk them and eat them and, and going back the way they'd milk them and eat them and pull a plough with them, wouldn't they? But uh, as you said, the Irish mobile has gone more down the beef road. And uh, I've, I've shared a, a roast dinner of yours, so, um, Sally, fantastic it was of a yeah. piece of mobile beef. They do eat well. Let's just give them a plug on that side as well, too. The moily beef is fantastic. I'm not, I personally don't think it can be beaten. I'm sure there's others that say their breed's best, but I don't think the moily beef can be beaten. Very highly fat marbled through it. You can get fillet steak that's got fat marbling through it. The taste is just beautiful. It's like one of my customers, she t- had her granny around for dinner. So she must, I think she's in about her 80s or 90s. And her granny reckons that it's the it's how beef used to taste when she was a little girl. <laughs> there you go. That can't, can't, get, can't get a better advert for it than, than that, that's of course. It. And you mentioned chiviots, but uh, Sal, you went into... You put yourself together for a regeneration project, and I think that's something you'd seen overseas. Just tell us a little bit more about how, how the region, how, how, how you you showed me when I was there, to be fair, how you'd move electric fences about and animals mm-hmm. didn't stay anywhere too long in one place. Just give me a pricey of, of, of what you do there at the Croft to, to, to keep this uh, to keep yourself from, um, parasite-free, I suppose. Yeah, well, I started regenerative agriculture oh, about 10 years ago when I got sick. Mainly because, and I didn't know what it was called at the time, and it was mainly because I was broke because I couldn't work and I couldn't afford fertilizer. So I didn't put it on. It was simple as that. And I numbers had fallen quite badly. We were down to only three cows and about 15 sheep at one point because I had to sell them to get some money to live, basically. And gradually I realized, well, my ground's actually doing okay without fertilizer, so I'm not going to bother. And I'm starting to get native species coming through again so my swords are getting more mixed more diverse and it was about maybe five or six years ago that I started hearing about this regenerative agriculture and I thought you know what that's kind of what we're doing here so I started looking into it more I started doing rotational grazing started off the first year I split a three acre field in half and I put them on the bottom half for three weeks and the top half for three weeks which is not quite how you do it but with plenty grass and it worked And then over the last few years, we've been getting bigger and bigger groups of cattle and sheep. I'm up to 60 60 sheep and 11 cows this year. And I ran them all together last year. So with lambs and calves, we ended up with about 190 animals in one group. Moved every three days now, and they get around about two acres roughly at a time. I'm probably going to make it tighter this year a little bit. My my big 20-acre field, I had it split in five. I'm probably going to split it into six this year so that and I'll I'll leave those cells up because it's just it's quite steep and it's a bit of work to shift them. So I just set up electric fences at the start of the season. I do need to find somebody to mow underneath them. Because I tried that last year and I was knackered. <laughs> just about broke me. So I picked the hottest day of this year last year to mow underneath it, and it just about broke me. And, and you run what two strand, three strand, just electric fencing and wheelbarrowed in and out. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, three strand electric fence, and I had a rack made for the back of the bike last year. So okay. it's got two bucket holders, a middle bit that I can put all my tools in, and it's got two bits that go up the back that hold the electric fence posts and hooks on it that I can put the reels on. So basically, I can pretty much sit on the bike and not have to get off it when I put the fence up now. That's brilliant. The whole work smarter, not harder. Yeah, quite right, quite right. And you grow a few cover crops as well there, Sal, just to... to, to... I don't, I don't actually. I just have, I've got a lot of clover. 
I worked with shearers up in Orkney and we've made nine clover mix, mainly small to medium size leaves, some red clover. I think it's three varieties of red clover. And I just, I go around and chuck handfuls of it out once the sheep and cattle have grazed down. I do it at night because the moisture overnight and the feet trampling in helps the seeds go in. And it's working. It's not the most effective way of getting seeds in the ground, but it's cheap. doesn't cost me anything. It costs me the seed. That's all it costs, mm. you know. And it's I'm starting to see some red clover coming in, different varieties coming in now. Okay. And allowing, I'm allowing the, the seeds that are naturally there in the seed bank to come up, which takes a few years. You know, you do have to graze quite hard when it's been conventionally farmed for a long time it takes probably takes a five or six years before you start seeing stuff coming out of the you get the the annual weeds coming up first obviously because that's their job their job is to come in get some leaves and get some energy trapped in the soil that's what their whole purpose in life is sort of thing Mm -hmm. once they go out you start getting the other plants coming through in a natural cycle. So. Sounds fascinating and, and, and highly scientific as well, but uh, is there somewhere that people can go and have a look at the region? Because I think it's something that's coming, and I, I think you you picked up on this quite earlier, that there's a lot of people are interested in this, where we can produce the, the, the feed a lot cheaper by understanding the science of the of the soil and the plants that you put in it. So is there somewhere people can go, and is, is there a society of regeneration, regenerative there, agriculture? There isn't, actually, but what there is... Where I found out most of my information was YouTube. Good. To be honest, you start, look up people like Gabe Brown, Ray Arcolet, Alan Savory. Alan Savory is kind of the dad of holistic farming okay. and regen farming. Twitter, well, X. X is really good. You know, get on there. There's loads of farmers doing it and willing to talk about what they're doing already. So you can go on and follow threads on there that give you so much information about what people have tried. And the main thing about regenerative agriculture, and the one thing that worries me about about it at the moment, the way we're moving towards it, is its context. It's very much specific to your farm and to your goals. So what I do on my farm isn't necessarily what my neighbour's going to want to do because their goals are different and their farm's different. So I worry about politicians trying to legislate for it because... I don't know how they're going to do it to to sort of encompass the whole ethos of it is that it's very much specific to your goals and your farm. Okay, so there's, so no, there's no blueprint no blueprint that somebody can just pick up on and say, right, this is what we're going to do. But there is an ideology around it that uh, that certainly can get people started, especially people in smaller smaller farms looking at that. And, and you mentioned uh, you put the Texas away and changed it for Chivitz. Of course, the North Country Chivitz indigenous to your part of the world. So they, they'll stand, although you're not on a particularly on a hill, they'll stand the weather there. And you've also got some uh, some blue-headed Lesters there as well, uh, which uh, aren't indigenous to your part of the world. And I'm surprised they're still alive in the weather that you get. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised they're still alive too, most of the time. I love them. My blue-faced Lesters are my one indulgence, basically, that... All the rest of my cattle and sheep are moving. I'm gradually or quite steadily moving towards 100% grass fed. They are not. <laughs> I think the hogs are inside. They've been in for the last six weeks, the ewe hogs, because it's been so wet and they were just looking awful. <laughs> you took pity on them because they're your pets, as you just said there, which is, mm. this, is this is completely contrary, contrary to, your, to your regenerative project, but hey, you love mm. them. I do. I love them. They're great sheep. The lambs are just, they're comical when they're born because they're they're all legs and ears and they've got this little bald spot between their ears that when they're brand new, if you pick them up and you touch between the bald spot, their ears go down. (laughs) It's quite funny. It's where their very little brain is probably. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I don't, they're just my, I wouldn't even say they're my indulgence because they do drive me nuts at times, but I just, I really like them. So and, and you get a market for those, of course. You, I mean, blue-faced Leicester tups will be in demand around you for breeding mules. So yeah. I'm sure. And for all I'm rude about them, they're still with the, the most influential sheep, of course, in 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 Great Britain, if not across Europe, for breeding a mule, isn't it? So there's plenty of plenty yeah. of trade for those. I remember seeing on your top line and tails well, last year, sometime you had a really interesting graph up about the genetics, mm-hmm. the relationship between all the different sheep breeds. And the blue-faced leasters were like way out on a corner by themselves. Everybody else was grouped in one sort of area mm-hmm. and the blue leasters were way out on their own, which is why, obviously, it's putting the 
I don't know, the vigor and everything into other breeds is why they're so good for crossing, I think, when you go down the genetic side of it. Absolutely right. And we shouldn't give them a bad press, as I said. They, they, they are the backbone of the, of the British sheep industry. And, and something you, you mentioned when I was up seeing there before, and we probably won't dwell on this because it, it's a long subject in itself, was about uh, carbon. You're talking about the, the plants and regenerative, but of course, the carbon sequestration, something that can't yet be measured. But you have done a carbon audit, haven't you, and come out on the right side of it, I think. Yes, I've done a carbon audit. I did soil sampling last year as well, which was interesting to see what was happening in the soil. The carbon thing, we're all going to have to do it. You know, that we're going to have to do carbon audits. I think it's the way we're going to get funding to show that we're making a difference. As you say, it can't be measured. It's very subjective to how you put the figures in as well, I think. I mean, I'm doing really well here because we don't use fertilizer, we don't buy in a lot of feed and things like that, and we don't run a lot of machinery. Yep. So, you know, we're quite low on that. Where I'm falling down is I do my beef and lamb boxes. We have to go 100 miles south to Dingwall, to the nearest abattoir, and that journey then goes into my carbon audit, okay. and it's one journey per sheep, mm-hmm. which in total I wouldn't even have a whole lorry load in the year going mm-hmm. Oh, it's one journey per sheep. So that oh, that just boosts my carbon quite a bit. No, I mean, I'm still under whatever the average. It's so annoying because we have an empty abattoir a mile from me yeah. that's sitting there that we could get going, but... That is. As with everything, getting the funding is just dire. That that is sad. It is sad. It's also sad that you can said skew, skew your audit just by by having to do something that, that you're doing, and by the fact that the figures. I mean, you take twenty in a trailer, and each one of them is, is, is targeted as one as one journey. That shows that the carbon audits that we're doing just now aren't exactly right, and the science haven't quite got there yet. And we've had this conversation, mm. as I said. I don't. Every week I say I won't discuss it, and we always end up having a word with it. Let's talk. <laughs> let's talk about the diversification that you've done there, Sal. As we said at the top of the of the podcast here, that running a a sixty acre croft self sufficiently takes a little bit more than just just running the field. So you mentioned the, the the beef and lamb boxes, which is something everybody's getting into now. I do it myself in, in, in France. How's that going for you? Great, it's absolutely, it's going fantastic. You know, I I started oh about ten years ago, and I thought I'd be lucky if I could sell maybe five or six lamb boxes a year. Last year, I think it was about 90% of my weathers went as lamb boxes. I also do mutton boxes now, which is building up steadily. I've They're coming home on Friday, actually, the last, oh no, Saturday, they're coming home my next lot. And I had six customers, so I had two of my ewes off as mutton, which I didn't think I would manage to sell at. But last year it was one, this year it's two, you know, so it's building gradually. Beef boxes, I can't keep up with demand. I've got two for boxes this year because I had so many females last year, which is great. I was wanting numbers built up. But my beef boxes are pretty much fully booked out for this year already. Okay. Before I even advert, they're six months off being ready and they're fully booked out already. It's great. I love the connection it gives you with your customers. You know, we're, it's sad in a way. What I find really strange in a way is that farmers selling our product to our end customer has become a diversification mm. true that's a good yeah, statement. good statement i like that and you're right obviously where you are it, in case let say your your customers will be up there you're not shipping them down into to Inverness or london or, or sort of the high prices you'll be people will be getting a fair a fair product for a fair price i guess locally you're not you're not going to go on, on too too high a price point but it, it's a lot more profitable selling, selling animals that way yeah well, I'm, I basically go with the average on the sort of the whole of the UK. There is a rough average that most people seem to sell at. With the Irish Moyle, with the pure boxes, we have the Irish Moyle beef part of the Irish Moyle Society. It's a slightly separate bit, which is set up to promote Irish Moyle beef. And one of the things we do is at the start of the year, or we're looking at doing is the start of the year, setting a price point for Irish Moyle beef so that every producer is selling at the same price to get throughout the UK and Republic of Ireland, you know, it'll give us, it'll keep the market fair for all the breeders that way. Okay. And it's something we're promoting. Mm-hmm. Need- it's great. One of the things I do as well is I, I've started teaching other people how to do it. And the Irish Moily Society, they actually, 
have got me in at the moment and I'm teaching the whole society members how to set up and sell boxes. That's brilliant. Which is great to, to give everybody the same information to know exactly how to start and how to do it so that it's easy to do. It's not hard to do. You know, it's a lot of people worry that it's going to be hard to set up, but it really isn't. That's brilliant, Sal, that you're doing that. And and probably, and I mentioned before, the sort of geographically challenged, if that's not a rude word about Caseness, does give you the reason to to use the internet as a marketing tool and to use online as a marketing tool. And I know you and I've spoke you know, long and hard about sort of some of the, the ways that we, we can do promotion through Facebook, through through all the channels that are out there. But obviously starting with selling beef boxes online, so you're picking up your customers rather than off-page advertising or wherever people have done that in the past, if at all. But now, as you said, you're doing courses for boxes and you're doing other things. And, and the, the whole online thing, is it, that's where your diversification has, has really taken off and come into your, to your, you come into your bottom line, sir. Definitely, 100%. You know, the internet's amazing. A lot of people's like, oh, social media, you put all your life up there. It's like, yes, but lots of people are on it all the time. You're going to find the other weirdos that want to do what you want to do. And what you're selling, the people who like what you're selling, you know, you can find your tribe or your people on there easily. And if you've got something that other people want, it's free. You know, that's the best part about social media. It's free to advertise and the reach like TikTok. I'm on TikTok and I don't do any sales on it because I've not figured out how to do that yet because I'm probably about 30 years too old to figure that one out. But the reach on there is fantastic. One of my first videos I put up had like four and a half thousand views. I only had 10 followers at that time. You know, it's it's great. I'm getting comments from people all over the world about, and on TikTok, all I do is me talking to camera and then I show them my sheep or my cows or, and I have a moan about the weather. <laughs> and one of the biggest ones I put up was a complete moan about the weather. And I had heaps of comments and views. It was amazing. It's unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, we talked to Cammy Wilson on this program. We all know Cammy again, inspiration to all of us, yeah. the way that he's embraced social media and the likes of the Hoof Doctor and, and, and yeah. Gareth Wayne Jones They're and these amazing. other guys. Incredible the way they've taken the media away from farming a little bit and brought in a whole diverse audience who aren't actually farmers, who don't actually earn their living from agriculture or even totally understand agriculture, but they're buying into the concept. And, and I remember Gareth Wayne Jones saying to me that we have a duty, all of us, to try and sort of educate the public a little bit as to what we do and why it's good for them. Yeah. And I mean, my Facebook page, I have a page up and running and it's just, it's a blog as much as anything. And it's about what I do. And it's the, the ins and outs of it. You know, one of the videos I did last week was, these are my MDUs they're going off you know these three are three of them's going to the market and two of them's going to the abattoir and I personally I'm getting to the stage now I don't like animals going through the rings of the stress side of things for them I'm getting soft in my old age basically <laughs> and I was saying about how you know I quite like it the ones that are going direct from here they've had a good life here and they go direct from me to the abattoir and that's it mm-hmm. Whereas the other ones are going to have to go from me through the ring, through another one. And I had a little bit of a chit chat about it. And it was interesting to see the feedback I was getting from it, from farmers and from the general public. You know, one lady, she said, you know, it's nice to hear that it's not just a business decision and there are emotions behind it. You know, you don't just treat your animals as a commodity. They're not just a unit. You know, they're an actual living, breathing thing. And then other farmers were like, well, you know what? It's part of life. And I'm like, yeah, it is part of life. But it's also okay to say that we maybe don't feel good about it all the time. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Absolutely. Absolutely right. And and we mentioned mental health earlier on in, in, in the show there. And again, a subject that raises its head on, through social media, because social media has done a fantastic amount for people with with, with mental health issues, which is, is something in farming going back the way was sort of a huge issue that we all buried un, under the carpet. And, and I believe that things that you're doing like that is is good for, for, for everybody's um, uh, mental well-being, really. Yeah, yeah, I think so. You know, it's it's being okay to talk about the things that, that bother you. You know, it's being okay to say that, you know, I do it because we have to, but it's maybe not what I want to do. I'd prefer to do it this way. And when you start saying you'd prefer to do it this way, there's other people come out and say, well, do you know, actually, yeah, that's kind of what I think too. So you don't feel quite so crazy or weird or whatever. Like the the Regen Agri thing, you know, it's 
I thought it was a bit nuts when I started doing a bit of a hippie sort of thing and not really sure. But then I found the other people on social media who are doing it and to get in about, to start chatting to folk who are doing what you're already doing, it's great. Yeah. You know, it just gives you that, I don't know, just togetherness. Another word. Togetherness is yeah, absolutely and it's the it's hap- it makes me happy, you know. The other side of social media for mental health that a lot of people miss out on is you're keeping up with friends. Mm-hmm. You know, you and me, we chat through social media quite a lot, and it's we would have lost contact many years ago if it hadn't been for Facebook. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And, and yeah, I called in to see you last year. I hadn't seen you for, for ages yeah. and called in and, and chat and the things that we do to keep up with people. And that's not just locally, it's around the world as well. So, I mean, it, yeah. I mean, it ha- does have its downsides and I probably won't go into them just now. But uh, yes, it's brilliant that it does that. And the other thing that I want to go on to, Sal, I know you've sold a few products in the past. You've been agent for one or two mineral supplements and various things, but you've gone more down the, 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 the diversification online route with this one. And this is, I think, something maybe have come through your your mother's illness or what have you, where you've come up with a with a planner where people can tell me tell me about it come on tell me about it i'll let you i'll let you let you sell this one basically i i did the king's countryside was a princess trust at the time and the rsabi they had the farm resilience program last year and it was in caithness they go around different areas if anybody gets i don't know if they do it further south they definitely do it in scotland i don't i think they do it because it's all over the uk if they do it in your area do it it's free you get six meetings, you get a dinner, you get a, a summer visit somewhere or a summer meeting somewhere. You get things like we had an environmental night. We had a guy in talking about funding. We had somebody talking about accounts, how to handle accounts. I missed that one because I had COVID, but I've got an HNC and accounts, so I wasn't too worried about it. Somebody comes out and takes your accounts from you and goes over all your accounts. They go away and they get benchmarked against everybody in your group, plus randomized ones as well. They're all randomized, so you, they're all so you don't see who it is. But you can see where you're picking up, where you're falling down, where you could improve, and you have a meeting discussing that as well. And then you have a meeting about succession as well, which is a big topic that we all need to talk about, you know, and farming, especially with the businesses and everything, the, the whole succession thing is, it's a topic you need to have sooner rather than later. Absolutely and, right. So I was like playing, right. playing golf at the ball this week and succession was one of the subjects that took us halfway, halfway around the course. So you're right. It is yeah. something that as the farm generations are getting older that and, and, and the youngsters not coming into to the business quite so much that succession planning is something that's uh, huge. So it, this is why admiration. And as I said, you know, tell talk us through how, how you took that forward. Yeah, well, I it was Heather Wildman that did the meeting. And one of the things she said is, you know, do you have your information written down? You know, if you die, is somebody going to be able to get into your phone for a start or your laptop? And are they going to know anything about your business? Because as farmers, we do have a hell of a lot of information stored in our heads. We maybe don't write it down or it's on a scrap of paper or it's in a bit of book. Or, and generally, this is, this is a vast generalization here and apologies to anybody it doesn't fit with. Generally, it's the woman in the partnership who has all the information, does the bills and does all of that and knows everything. And if I went home from that meeting and I'm like, right, I know you get life planners where you can write all this down for personal life. I'll buy a farm one. They don't have them. And I spent ages looking. There's none in the UK. There's none worldwide. So I wrote a farm emergency plan. I thought oh, it'll be maybe four or five pages and that'll do it. And it'll take me a couple of days to write it <laughs> and, and this will have come a little little bit through from your mom as you said taking the dementia and knowing i suppose knowing that she would have had, had the known where the bodies are buried for want of another word yeah basically. well mom actually had a brain tumor as well about eight years ago suddenly came on overnight basically we didn't know what well, just middle of the day one day didn't know what was wrong and she because it was so big it damaged she had brain damage from it and she had to learn to walk and talk and everything I had taken over, but I hadn't done all of her stuff, you know, the house stuff. So I had to then step up and take over, sort out all the accounts, sort and phone everybody and notify them, change mum's name off the accounts and everything, which all took a lot of work. So that's what the planner is. Basically, it's somewhere you can write down absolutely everything about your business. There's a personal bit at the back of it as well. So all your government logins, all your sprayer tests, your who your vet is, your phone, 
code, your laptop code, all those sort of things. There's a space in there for absolutely everything. And you helped me with it, Andy. You had a look at it and gave me some tips and some advice and things to add in, as did quite a few other people around. I sent it to people all over, which is why it took six months to write, basically. And I've got a list on the wall for edits for the next version as well that I've missed out that other people have come to me with. And something, um, something when you've written all this down, you, you stick it in the safe and as long as you know the combination to the safe, the rest of it stays in there out of the way. Because I think some people maybe had a little bit of apprehension. They'll say, well, if I keep write every single thing down, if I get burgled and somebody comes in, they can they know how to nick my car and my gun license and all the rest of those things. Yeah, 100%. And I would advise, and one of the things that my, it's actually my midwife, when William was little, her house burnt down, sadly. And one of the things she said is get a fireproof safe as well. You get fireproof files on Amazon that you can put everything in. If the house does burn down, the basics that you need are in there. And it's it's a morbid kind of subject to talk about at times, I find, as well. Because basically, the planners for when you die. So it's not actually going to benefit you. It's going to benefit your family. It's Yeah, it's kind of a hard one, I find, in a way to... How can you say that nicely? Well, let's no. just it with you. Nobody has done this, but I mean, to, to to come up with that idea, fantastic. And then obviously to get out there and market it, you can't just phone people up and say, look, you, you'll be dead in, in five years' time if you've written <laughs> everything down. It is quite, uh, it is quite, as you said, a difficult one to sell, but you've taken that on as well. I mean, you've found ways to get this marketed out there. And if you guys haven't seen it, we'll probably give you a link to to where you can pick up and it's not you're not, not putting your life savings into buying one of these. It's a fairly cheap extension to to, to your, your daily budget. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, it's it's been a huge learning curve, and I'm still learning. You know, I'm still learning. I can sell beef boxes, lamb boxes, wool. That's one of the things my blue face leasters is great at is wool. You know, I, I've got various bits and pieces done. I can do that. This is a different type of thing, and it it's not about one of the things is it's, for me the huge thing is it's not about making money out of it it's about knowing that I'm helping people you know it's about knowing that there's a family out there that's going through a rough time a horrible time because it is a horrible time when you lose someone but I've made their life a fraction easier a tiny bit easier you know that's yeah that's what it's about it's the helping folk more than anything very commendable as I said you can come at that from an angle of your, your own experience as well and and and, and a brilliant thing and and you, remind me what it's called uh Sally it's the farm emergency planner there you go farm emergency planner you can you can google that or you can find it or go to Sally's Facebook page or or, or I think the well tell me you've got it's a, on Amazon as well actually okay. surprisingly there you go it's um and and we we twenty thirty quid or something along those lines. 20, twenty five pound it is. So yeah, twenty. So you guys out there that haven't got thought about that, and now as Sally said, it's not an easy subject to broach. But the chance to have a think about it, just uh, go on there, get one bought, take it home, fill it in, put it away, job done, and and or made everybody's life a little. Drop me a message. Mm. I have some here, and I quite often have discounts and there you, there, give them away. See, <laughs> farmers don't need discounts; they get plenty of money. So. <laughs> <laughs> and and you do a few other things uh, sell online. Our time's running up here, but you do a few other things on mm-hmm. online as well, and bringing more things on all the time. I mean, you're finding mm-hmm. finding ways of once you've got that presence out there, you're finding ways of making that start to pay 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 some bills. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's the online thing is great. I can be sitting here in my oh, well. I had a course the other night and I had somebody in Lanzarote and I had somebody in Australia and I, and people all over the UK and Ireland, you know, so I had 21 folk on a course listening to me talk, which is excellent. I'm good. Well, you've probably, yeah, good. you've probably got a good few thousand listening to you talk just now, but uh, I, I do know that also you've started to get in demand, as I said, at the top of the show, again, an inspiration to me and a lot of other people of how you've made this work, but you've been on, is it women in wellies? What do women in wellies do? What do they yeah. talk about? What's it? Lit and natter, is it? It was the women in wellies is a podcast that started up about a year ago, I think. Okay. Charlotte and Hannah, they do it and they just interview women to see what they're up to and get a chat. I recorded, I did a podcast with them last week. I think it goes out in the end of the month, end of February sometime. It's actually going out. And is this an ag- ag- agricultural, sorry, Justin, uh, uh, Sally, is this an agricultural podcast? Because we do get a lot of women listen to this program as well. Is- it's, it's agricultural and rural based. So it's not, there's, I think, one of the ladies that was on couple of weeks ago she was forester you know so it covers a lot it's mainly it's just agriculture and rural and it's just a chat and see what you're doing see what you're up to i got 
it was a lady who bought a dog off of me. My dog had pups a couple of years ago and she bought a dog for her dad and she's been following my page since and she messaged them and said that I'd be good on it. So delighted. I'm sure enjoyed it. I'm sure you would be good on it. You've been really good on this one as well. And just to go back to that one, Women in Well is look it up wherever you get your podcast from. And if you want to find more about Sally Crove, friend her on Facebook and, or or Sally, you've got a you've got a Facebook page called is it called the Wee Croft? I think the Croft. The Croft. It's just the Croft. Yeah, I'm on TikTok. Okay. Twitter. I'm on Twitter. I'm not on it very much. Instagram, I seemingly have an Instagram presence but i've never actually i've linked my account and i don't know how to use it so i should probably look into it me, me likewise i have to admit it's an open admission that i don't know how to use instagram in fact i struggle with tiktok to be honest so uh, but that's brilliant that's that's where our younger generation come in they'll know where all this stuff is but uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to have a chat with you uh, um sally been trying to catch up for a while now as i said uh, an inspiration to a lot of people and and uh if anybody wants to get in touch with sal and learn a little bit more about about what you do or how you do it or, or whether you can help them to do to to take them business in, in, in a slightly different direction then uh, please get in touch here i love talking to folks so just give me a shout you know i'll talk to anybody about anything <laughs> even me even me <laughs> <laughs> well i know you've got some hellish weather up there in, in uh, you were talking to me this to me this morning about putting a weather station in because your last one blew away so i think you've still got the weather fairly rough up there in case nest but uh but so i hope you're you're inside and rugged up fairly warm from that you had a bit of snow mm. last week i know yeah, it's been a rough winter. In all honesty, it's probably been our worst in 20 or 30 years. I've never seen the ground as wet. It's been, and wind, so much wind. We have had gales after gales. It's been quite depressing this year, I have to admit. Although we've had two good days together, which has been about the first two day good days we've had together since about June. <laughs> well, at least you can get online and have a moan at your TikTok friends all about that, and they'll they'll dial in from Australia going higher at 30 degrees. So I've really enjoyed your company. I hope everybody else has, has enjoyed uh, an hour with, with Sally Crow there. It's been absolutely fantastic. And Sal, I think you're going to make it down to the Highland Show this year. I'm looking forward to catching up with you there and uh, having a yarn, maybe even sharing a wee drum. I think so. I'm looking forward to it, Andy. I, I'm definitely coming. It's been 10 years since I've been to the Highland Show through ill health and money and everything so i'm fair looking forward to being down this year and catching up with folk i haven't seen in a long time okay and yes potentially having a dram or two as well it has been known to happen in the past <laughs> and say hi to that wee william from me and tell him i'm sorry we couldn't, couldn't take him out in the camper when we were there last time but next time we come up there promise we'll give him away day, away day in the camper He's still talking about Haggis the dog and how it's time he got a little dog. And mum actually said to say hello as well. I told her last night I was going to be on your podcast. And it's funny how the brain works because I can mention other friends and mum's like, oh, yeah, no, but I say, oh, I was speaking to Andy Fraser. And mum goes, oh, tell him I said hi. How is he doing? For some reason, you were trapped in mum's brain forever. <laughs> <laughs> you give her a big hug from me. Give her a big hug from me. I will. Sal, thanks very much. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And you too, Andy. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Top Lines and Tales, the nation's favourite livestock podcast. And uh, as always, we'd like to thank our sponsors and partners, Harbro, for their continued support with Top Lines and Tales. And uh, please go and check Harbro out there. Find him on the internet. Maybe look them out. Go to your local store. Find your local representative them. And they are across the country uh, Obviously, Scotland-based, but they are across the country, and you can find products online as well. And uh, check out their range of nutrition, and livestock nutrition, and nutritional advice there, especially this time in the winter when you're needing maybe advice or bringing animals out of them to the end of the winter. So uh, please go and check them out. Please go and see what they can do for you and uh, look them up on the internet. And and while you're there on the internet, don't forget to look us up on Facebook and join in our Facebook community where you'll find information about this and previous episodes.